Okay, so welcome back, or welcome to Finding Balance. I'm Tom Ford, and my guest today is Victoria Lust. Uh, she is 28 years old, born in Luton, but now resides in Victoria on Vancouver Island. Uh, she's won numerous junior title, national junior titles, uh, almost one in every age group, I believe, twice the runner-up in the European Championships. Uh, she continued to take that success into the tour. We've been playing now for 10 years with a highest world ranking of 15. That's also your current one. And how many titles is it? I We didn't get around to that. I know. I feel like I'm going to guess nine because some of okay. the PSA facts are slightly incorrect because they don't have the stats. It's really surprising. I, th- I feel like you of all people would know how many titles you, you'd have. I have no idea. You just, just so many that you take it as it comes, I, I guess. I think they all take like a year to win one, so then over like 10 years. It's <laughs> <laughs> like easy to forget. Sure. Yeah, well, you, you're a seasoned uh, pro now, aren't you, really? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think we know a reasonable amount about each other, but I'm really interested to talk more about this. I feel like there's a lot more that we can... Uh, that, that we and uh, everyone listening can, can kind of get to know about you and your journey. So, But we really kind of got to know each other when you lived in Cheltenham. And uh, that was a really uh, influential time for me because I was I was just a sort of a, a teenager still at school. And, and I particularly remember uh, the times when we were, tr- we were training sort of twice a day during the summer and, and you sort of very kindly invited me back to your place and we would have lunch and don't say that for me that's you <laughs> sound bad but, uh, I, I, I very this sounds even worse I, I very much remember just falling asleep on the sofa <laughs> on the sofa just just being conked out from the training and that was but that was very much like my first experience of, of I guess professional life um, and it was really insightful for me, particularly being someone that um, always kind of had the idea that I wanted to be a pro. Was that the case with you? I mean, did you did you always know you were going to be a pro? Um, I think, well, not when I very first started playing. Um, mm-hmm. I think obviously as I got better and older, I did. Um, and then when everyone was at school, like applying for university and all that jazz... Um, I was like, oh, no, I don't need to do that. I'm going to play squash professionally. Um, But then when I did my A-levels, just after finishing them, there was a period there where I thought maybe I should go to university. Right. Um, And then actually uh, I played World Juniors Mm. and I lost to We Won Low Mm -hmm. in the team event. Um, But I lost, this might be a slightly incorrect stat, but this is my guess. I lost three love. Mm. But ten eight, ten eight, ten eight. Okay, oh, old scoring. As old. Well. Oh yeah. <laughs> you just said I'm a seasoned pro. <laughs> um, and I remember. So my coach at the time and the coach who was there with us with the England squad, saying to me after like that's the first time I've seen you play and think you could be a world class player. Um, and that really that carried me through um, to actually want to play full time made me think that it was the right decision well, that's in, and, and is that really the first time that you considered because from 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 all of the stats from juniors like it's apparent that you were all of the the kind of signs were there that you had the potential like there must was there not a period where a little bit earlier at your age where 
maybe if if you didn't recognize your talent or your how good you you could be did did, did somebody else or or um, you said you won national titles in every almost every yeah. age group and, and and things like that so i think that's an interesting question because i feel like growing up i was always known actually for not being a particularly good squash player Right. Um, but more just for you know being a good athlete and getting the ball back and that kind of became who I was as a squash player so I don't know if I actually ever believed that I was actually that great at squash mm. like I mean like the striking of the ball and actually like that that side of it so there was a lot of doubt from me with that kind of thing like a, every coach well in the kind of setup that we had as juniors they'd always tell me oh you can't hit a drop oh you don't have a short game so that that in a way made me doubt if I could play pro even though obviously I was getting results and and doing well as a as a junior um but I was lucky that growing up I had a coach who he only coached me that I was the only junior league coach growing Mm. up in Bedfordshire it's not it's not a, a squash hub as it were um, so he, he really believed in me and he was a big part of, of me wanting to play full time. And then he kind of said that I should start seeing like a different coach because he kind of got me as far as he did. And that's when I got an insight into playing pro was when I went down to Potter's Bar and started training with Paul Carter. And that was like mm-hmm. Alison there, Pete Barker, kind of those players all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was more then when I thought, oh, I really like this as well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, and and particularly I think in the juniors, if you if you do have one quite sort of glaring strength, it's it's good enough to to for you to do well in in the juniors. And, yeah, for sure. Um, I do think it's that. interesting that you had that insight so early on because I think it's very easy to get carried away in the juniors, and um, yeah, that's quite a sort of level-headed mindset. <laughs> um, so t- tell me a bit more about about this first coach that you had and and why he was so much of an influence. What um, what sort of traits did he have and what was your relationship like? Uh, our relationship was good. Um, he made fun of me a lot, um, <laughs> but that that's good. And I think that well, with my coaches now and with obviously you knowing me as well, mm-hmm. that's kind of my personality. Mm. Um, but in a constructive way or in a playful way in like a nice obviously I was like 12 years old (laughs) in a nice nice way but that made me like not take myself too seriously too young as well and he actually had no experience coaching anybody else to be like Mm. you know like the best player in the under 13s and then 15s and so on and so forth and so his outlook was always very level-headed very like methodical um very like you could kind of say like percentage squash which is probably how i played squash growing up which is like for for the listeners that maybe very like conservative kind of game not making many errors keeping the ball in play Mm -hmm. but being fairly accurate like i've always had like good length and that kind of thing Mm. um but yeah i mean and he was great. He'd come to tournaments with me. And even even until I moved to Canada, like I would call him up and maybe if I was playing like under-23 nationals, for example, he would still be the person that I'd call up and mm. ask to come coach me like between games and stuff, even though he actually probably hadn't been coaching me at that time for a long time. Sure. 
Yeah, I think it's a really interesting balance that you have to strike as a coach or like from my perspective the most influential coaches that I've had have also were able to kind of cross that barrier of of the personal touch as well yeah um but it's also really difficult to to not go too far that you you kind of lose respect or um, they're kind of too much of a mate so um yeah that, that I think that's a real common thing that that a, a successful coach has and, and, and a kind of coach-player relationship. It's, um, I, I think, quite hard to foster in, when you get to the the sort of national governing body systems and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, but let's keep maybe in your kind of younger life, were there, were there any other kind of big influences that you had, whether that be people or, or other sports or, or anything like that? Um, that's a good question. Um... Other sports, I think, just generally as a whole, were a big influence on me growing up. I played a lot of other sports. I played a lot of netball. I played football in school. Pretty much any sport that I could play at school, I would Mm. stay after school and play and do. And I think that helped me, again, be a better squash player, a better athlete. Um, Again, more of a well-rounded look on on playing sport as Mm. well, actually seeing it as a game and... It's not that serious, and I just loved loved playing sports. Um, as far as people, well, obviously my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was going to say before, yeah, before I before you talk about the people, I, I was going to say you, again, it's like a very balanced perspective that you have of well, I'm, I'm you're clearly a good squash player and things are going well, but I'm still going to play other sports. Yes, yeah. was, was that was that a decision that you made, or was it influenced by? For example, your parents, as you've just said. Um, I don't know if that necessarily, if anything, that was me kind of not rebelling against my parents, but I, I don't know how old I was and my memory is kind of vague on it, but <laughs> there was a period where I was playing a lot of netball and a lot of squash and I was good at both. And my parents were like, you probably need to kind of decide if you're going to play one properly or the other properly. Mm. Um, and I th- think secretly my mum was keeping her fingers crossed for netball um why is that uh i don't know i was good and like i really enjoyed it and i think she played netball and so i think i don't know i think she just i think my dad maybe secretly had his fingers crossed for squash um but and then so not necessarily rebelling but i just loved playing sport so even like i can remember staying after school like to play basketball like Hmm. nobody played basketball at our school there was like five of my friends and we'd play and we'd actually ended up like in the league and stuff mm-hmm. and like walking home like all the way home we shot I don't know through like fields and stuff taking like an hour to walk home because hmm. my mum wouldn't come pick me up because it was too late and it was my decision to stay and play okay. basketball after school but I would still still do that and cross country pretty much anything that was offered at school sports wise I would do hmm. So you're very much treated like a, an adult then, I guess, from quite an early age. You know, if this is your decision, then, as you said, like your mum wouldn't come and collect you. And, and... <laughs> yeah, how annoying. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I, I'm curious, how did you how did you manage kind of growing up? And it seems like you, from what you've said, you've had quite a, a balanced kind of life growing up, at least, because you can, even from my perspective, you can get quite serious quite early on particularly with the intensity of the junior tournaments and 
I'd imagine that that people were looking at you and saying, like, this, this girl's good in probably in both sports. Yeah. How did how did you deal with the the challenges of of not only just growing up and and changing as a person, yeah. but also you know dealing with with being potentially very good at, at two sports. Uh, maybe more. Well, I think the thing is, I never really thought I was really good at two sports. So I just enjoyed playing sport. So mm. it was. I enjoyed it, so like it was that was the fun in it, not being good at it. If that makes sense, so I never really felt any pressure, especially at home, to be good at anything. I just was good, but I think that was because my enjoyment was there. Hmm. If that that makes sense, yeah, definitely. That's really key. I think it's it's not actually a very common uh, route or or way that people are in in the juniors. So yeah. did you did you find that? That was the same in the junior tournaments that you were playing as well, because they tend to be extremely intense environments. Yeah, and, um... they are quite in- intense. Um, I mean, I was growing up. I'm sure you can vouch for this as well, Fordy. I was very, very competitive. Didn't like losing. <laughs> um, but again, that I don't think that was from the pressure. I think that was just I was really competitive, and obviously, when you're mm. a child, you. And especially, well, I hate to say it, maybe like 15, 16, 17 years ago, there wasn't that, all the help that maybe kids get now to, to maybe channel that. Um, right. But, I mean, that wasn't from, oh, I need to win, so I'm, do you know what I mean? It was mm. more, that was from, like, fire in the belly, yeah, as, yeah, it, sure. as it were. Um but yeah, they are, they are, and the older I got, the more intense they got. So I never did well at the British Junior Open. Um, okay. I hated playing that tournament. I felt a lot of pressure playing that. That might be the one that's probably stands out for me the most. That's the tournament I would dread the most, playing at home. All the coaches are there. You're seeded three, four. Like, you could make it to the final. Mm-hmm. You're playing players that you have beaten to get there and all of a sudden you're in this amplified bubble of pressure and you've mm. not been prepared to deal with it. Right, yeah. And so I, I, for me specifically, like my last year of under-19s at the British Open was possibly the tournament I have enjoyed the least ever. Mm. So that's the... Um... Where does that where does that pressure come from for you, or is it is it the is it knowing you know that you can do well and then having to do it, or, or yeah, what what changed you know from because there's this there's this two sides of like yeah. this super competitive, lusty, and then there's oh, I'm just having fun, you know, yeah. like where 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 does this transition meet and and ch- when did it start to change um... become more apparent. I think maybe more apparent when there's pre- external pressures. Right. Even though if you, as it were, pressure doesn't exist, but it does and it is a thing. And I think that all of a sudden you have people telling you you can do, do well. And obviously, like, your parents telling you and stuff. But, like, again, it's your parents, of course, they're going to tell you you can do well. And, like, as you grow up, you realise that more and more as well. You're like, yeah, but you're my parents, you have to say that. <laughs> um, but more, like, from the coaches and then, like, even things like people coming up to you and be like, oh, you've got a really good draw, like, you do really well. 
Mm. So just not being prepared for that and then, um, yeah, and then obviously being super competitive. So with myself, still loving playing, but also then wanting to do really, really well. And I always needed the opposite of being kind of told that just go have fun kind of thing. Not that my necessarily that's not from my parents, but from the coaches and and I'm sure you can vouch from that as well. We weren't really brought up in that kind of just go play, just have fun. It's just a game. Hmm. It was more, you know, you're number one in England, you're top two in Europe, you're three, four seed, like you should be making semis at least. And hmm. it's all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And especially if you've not really thought of yourself like that before, it's like a big, big jump. Yeah, absolutely. So, what, what, um, looking back on it now, I mean, you've had a lot of chance to, or, of, of experiences like that, yeah. and, and probably a lot more support. Um, um, what, what advice would, would you kind of give to yourself back then now? The, the same advice um, that I give to this, sorry, I've interrupted you. No, and, um, yeah, and what kind of support do you think is most important for a a, a child or a, a young person in the juniors that has a lot of potential that, that yeah that has potential to do well what, yeah. what's it what's the there's maybe too many questions but no, what's, no, can... what's the advice you'd give yourself like in that real high pressure situation yeah. now and uh, and what kind of support do you think um, is most important for for young juniors um, the same that I mean I give the juniors now that, that I coach that it is just a game mm-hmm. and that is the long and the short of it like one of my probably best pieces of advice I think and I actually try and tell it to parents more than the kids but I do the kids as well that like when you go on you're either going to win or lose so why worry why would anyone ever worry about the outcome it's going to be one of two mm-hmm. So, I think it's because we view losing as being a bad thing yeah. or, or winning being better than losing. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to keep on this thing because I can guarantee or I, I'd hasten to believe that if you, you're on the phone now to 18-year-old Lusty and said, it's just a game, Lusty, <laughs> I couldn't imagine the response that you would have got. So... How do you how do you reassure someone that it is because at the time it yeah you, you can't rationalise that yeah, now and, and it's um it means everything it, it to, does to the, to the vast majority of people so that's that comes from the beginnings though doesn't it so like kids that I'm coaching that are younger like just starting to play squash perhaps mm. or are say like thirteen fourteen. Mm. and suddenly have realised oh I could be quite good if you tell them that from that age Mm. and get them to understand that it's not the be all and end all and just to have fun with it Mm. when you get to 18 year old Lusty that 18 year old Lusty on the phone is a very different 18 year old Lusty who hasn't had that Mm. Um, so then that comes from the coaches and I think also sports psychology I think as much as people think a psychologist is a tainted word, particularly with with children, perhaps, mm. um, I think teaching kids coping mechanisms from a young age in high pressure situations is something valuable for them, not just in sport but in life. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think 
we very much just learn them the hard way you know particularly yes. when we're growing up it's often because we our emotions get the better of us and we, we learn that way you know right so I think that's a really good point and uh, it also answers the question about the support I think yeah. it's crucial that enjoyment and and focus on on uh, improving is is far more uh, beneficial than than being really hard I think I think yeah. there's again there's a balance of uh, understanding work ethic and, and getting yep. people to commit but but equally so as we've already discussed maybe a bit more prevalent as a professional but you're already gonna I think we're we're all our harshest critic you yeah. know whether that's <laughs> as a professional squash player or just in terms of our appearance and, and what we're doing <laughs> yeah so in general we don't need much more criticism I think in general we what we really want is, is support and encouragement and um, so you mentioned that you went to once you'd shifted to to another coach which was Paul Carter at Potter's yeah. Bar was that just when you were sort of nearing the end of your junior career or yeah I would have probably been about that shift 16 years old I reckon um and Steve pretty much like to be fair to him I feel like a lot of coaches try and cling on to players Hmm. um whereas he was really good in you know kind of being like I think you need to start seeing somebody else and Karts was a good option because he was relatively close to where I lived and um so that was actually quite a natural progression um and I really enjoyed my time working with carts. Um, it was good to be in, envi- in, a, in an environment with successful professional players. Mm. I mean, players who were already like top 10, top 5 in the world. That and for who me were they? Was, so there was, well, in and out all the time, there was Pete Barker, Alison Waters. I can remember Adrian Grant being in there a bit, Peter Nichols there a few times, like Bradley mm. Ball, all these players who were like good. Mm. And even if I wasn't on court with them, I would have a session and like Pete would be on before me. Mm. So then I'd just be up on the balcony watching. Sure. And even that's like invaluable, isn't it? Mm. Was there much of a female influence there as well? Or... Uh, I was around quite a bit, but uh, I think I was probably quite shy. Um, okay. So, yes, in that I got to see how she trained. and um, I mean, Al and I are good friends now, so she would probably find this hilarious. <laughs> um, but I was very, not starstruck, give Al a big head, but um, that's not the quite quite the right word but like very much in awe of what she had achieved already mm. and like I wanted to, to be like that so I think maybe that made me a bit more shy than I am the person I am today mm. so maybe like looking back if I was going to give myself advice it would have been to ask her a lot more questions from a, from a younger mm. age as, as well and actually Tanya Bailey was there quite a bit too mm. so I went on court with her a few times but uh, yeah carts generally would uh do my do their session, bring me on, let them chop me at the end of their session, <laughs> and then I would do my session with carts. That would be the general mm. gist of it. And so this is Paul Carter. Was yeah. he was he an England squash coach at this time yes, as well? Yes, he and was. Yeah. Were Were you part of the England squash system? And um, I guess did, were they assisting you in your transition to being a professional? Um, so that's a good question, actually, because. I mean, you've been through the system as well. Um, I actually, 
fell into the system at a funny kind of time um, in that there was no transitional program right. when I was trying to turn professional. Um, I mean, there was, do you remember TAS? Yes. Yes. So I had that for a year when I was in my last year of um, school. Um, but there wasn't really much really in place for anyone coming through because they had overlooked that kind of because they had all these great players. Right. So they had, you know, so many players inside the top So there 10. was like a senior squad of, say, five or six players. Yeah. And then a Juniors. junior squad and then yeah, nothing, nothing in between. Nothing in between, yeah. Right. So when did that, when did that come into place, do you know? Uh, it started kind of coming together, I guess. I don't know how long I was on transitional squad for. I might have been like 20, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't that much support. I mean, we had squads and stuff, but not... We're talking peanuts in terms of money and that kind of kind of support. Right. So, so how um, how did you how did you make the transition to becoming a professional? Because it's hard enough as it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk about that process because it yeah it's not easy. Uh, well, I was was pretty lucky in that my parents were very supportive. Um, the mm. amount of times I would have to call up my dad and be like, "Dad, I don't have any money." can you help me, mm. was a lot, um, so I was lucky that, you know, my parents were kind of sticking with the process with me, mm. um, and then I was l- lucky in the fact that I had pretty good coaches, I guess, and then, I don't know, just hard work, really, uh, lost a lot of matches, didn't have money for a very long time. And what were the major differences between the juniors and the seniors, having come from, again, being a, v- a very successful junior, then you almost start fresh, don't you? How, you how was that transition for you? Well, luckily, England squash are quite good in preparing you for that, in that they can be, well, at the time, quite negative. So it was very much, <laughs> you're not actually that good and you're going to get chopped for a very long time. So I was prepared to right. lose a lot of matches, which is... Which is what happened, but like we weren't at that stage very well prepared for seniors. Like I wasn't given a training program. I wasn't really helped to how to structure a program. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, yeah, a lot of pieces of the puzzle were probably missing mm. that I had to figure out for myself. Sure. Um, and I think that that's kind of the way I see those first years as being a pro. Anyway, is I, I think I, well, by comparison, had quite a lot of support from England Squash, but there were still so many kind of preconceived ideas I had about what it meant to be a pro. And uh, and it's very much sort of like an apprenticeship into being a professional. Yeah. And, and again, you kind of learn from doing things wrong. And, and yeah, and I did so a lot like, of things yeah, wrong. <laughs> so, so what were some of those mistakes that you made early on in, those, in, in that part of your career? Um quite a lot of mistakes and things well ranging from all sorts really like not training efficiently to Mm -hmm. not training much (laughs) to enjoying being young kind of to seeing my friends doing all this stuff and kind of wanting to do that with them but at the same time Mm -hmm. playing professionally um yeah, maybe maybe be a bit more specific about the the training or the mistakes. Just for, I'm thinking about the for the listeners who are maybe in at that stage, you know, where they want to go professional, um, uh, but 
for me, I, I seriously overtrained. I think. Yeah. Um, which again, it wasn't bad because I found out what was too much and then yeah. what was too little. But um, maybe just tell a few stories about. Are there any memorable things that that you think? Yeah. Well, this is not what I remember. What I would imagined it being. Like, um, kind of well, more like mistakes in planning. Um, mistakes. So, and um, by that I mean like planning my tournaments. I hadn't really put in any thought to how many tournaments in a row I should play, what's good for you, what's not. So I can mm. remember going to... Um, I played a tournament in Sweden, and it was a $5,000 event, which back back in the day for the women's was quite strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wasn't seeded, and I made it to the final. And then I had to change my flight, obviously, because I'm <laughs> classic junior, booked to lose. And then um, I had to fly the next morning at 4am, wow. landed in Manchester, had to play the first round of qualifying in nationals. That day? That day. Oh my goodness. Then I played two more matches in qualifying the day after, and then made it to the first round for the first time, mm. played my match, got in the car, drove to Nottingham, slept the night at the airport, got on the plane straight to a tournament in France played the next day lost in five to Joshna and then straight home again and I was sick as a dog Mm. for about two weeks I couldn't get out of bed or anything Mm. Um, and that was probably one of my biggest life lessons that Mm. your body can't handle that (laughs) yeah yeah not advisable no not at all yeah Um, but so how did that all of these mistakes even this one specifically how how did that change you as a person and and what do you think that was important still uh yeah changed me as a person I don't know if that just kind of made me more aware like started to give me more of an understanding of my capabilities perhaps Hmm. and what I was and wasn't able to do and maybe that gave me a bit more clarity even within my training um, I can remember having conversations with my coach at the time kind of about it too um, so yeah, I think I think when you're that age it's just hard to have clarity I think clarity is a good word mm. like now I have a lot more clarity but I, I know what I'm trying to do I know where I want to be mm. I know what my goals are my targets like what I want to do to get there and it's all very self-led Whereas mm. back then it was none of that at all. Mm. And has has that pro- has that come from support you've been given, or or again from from your own explaining the hard way? Uh, unfortunately, probably more from learning the hard way. Sure. Um, I feel like that was very much the process that I had to go through because I missed out on that transitional period that like you guys would have had or now and then I missed out on that senior period that was then there because then it all got shifted to right. to the transitional period so for me a lot it was very much just figuring stuff out for myself all the time which is difficult now looking at the support that's available but it also shows 
how good it is yeah. um, and, and the importance of struggle and failure and uh, it, it does really make you grow and, and, and force yourself to ask questions that, that are important yeah um, and I think that's crucial again as we speak about you know that you're failing or all these neg- perceived negative things if you have the vision to to see uh, the bigger picture then they are really beneficial so um uh, you, I guess you've been with with Paul Carter for quite a while at Potter's Bar. Yeah. At what point did you realise or decide that things needed to change, or um, and, and you moved to Cheltenham from there? Is that correct? I actually I lived in Birmingham for like oh, yeah. nine months, maybe okay. before I moved to Cheltenham. But okay. I mean, I was doing much of the same in both places. Mm-hmm. Cheltenham at the time was actually more of a convenience move than anything. Um, so actually that was kind of a bit of a forced thing Um, moving to Birmingham yeah changing coaches and Carts was kind of going through a hard time personally so it wasn't about as much Um, so suggested I started seeing Kia which then happened and then obviously Birmingham was nearer to Worcester Right. so that's kind of how how that came about and Mm. then yeah, Cheltenham just kind of happened because I wasn't really enjoying living in Birmingham and mm. then I was spending quite a lot of time in Cheltenham training as well mm. um, and it was close to Worcester so that's kind of how that came about too. Mm. And other than having an incredible training partner and you were in Cheltenham... Oh, you mean Nathan Lake? <laughs> <laughs> um, there was also Fiona Geeves who's yes. a, a former uh, number five in the world player um, how how was that? Um, you know, we know we know um, in hindsight now that you've you're now living in Vancouver Island. But how was that period and, and initially? And uh, yeah, just just talk more about that being in Cheltenham and, and working with Fee and um, so Cheltenham itself, I loved. Um, I mean, if I was to move back, that's probably probably where I'd want to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that side of it was great. I love friends, um, all that kind of side of it was fantastic. Working with Fee was definitely a, a learning curve mm-hmm. for me, probably a, a very big one. Looking back now, we're probably quite similar, yet different personalities, I would say. In what way? Similar in that I think we're both quite fiery. Mm-hmm. And just for the record, Tom is giggling. <laughs> um <laughs> So I think we clashed a little bit in, in that sense. And then in another sense, I feel like I was a little bit more laid back in certain ways, which I think frustrated her a bit. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I learned a lot about myself and what I wanted from a coach. And mm. I think maybe that having Fee having moved back from America then and me being the first player, she really, well, I, I think anyway, like that was pro that I had worked with was a huge learning curve from both of us for mm. both of us and I think maybe looking back I don't know maybe one day you'll interview Fee and she'll have a slightly different perspective on it yeah, but um, interesting. I think we both probably learn a lot in that period ourselves about ourselves and mm. her as a coach and me as a player and what I'm sure we both could have done things slightly differently and maybe would have done obviously hindsight is a great thing mm. Well, you can hope. You, I assume you you can both learn as as you've done. Um, as I said, we'll, we'll we'll maybe get the answer from Fee as well. <laughs> yeah. But um, so it it sounds like by moving to Cheltenham, you it gave you kind of one part of the balance that 
it seems like you've always been striving for, you know, in terms of playing other sports or, or living maybe slightly more of a normal life as yeah. a kid than, than most of us, or most people do, you know, yeah. when, you, when, you, when you're serious about a sport, but things weren't working with fee. So like what, what specifically, you, personality clashes and, um, and again, that kind of goes back to the point of the coach, the, it, it is a relationship, yeah, isn't it? And it, it, is. it isn't just as simple as, you, um, she, she, Fiona was a very highly ranked player, you're a PSA, a, a, like a professional player, so it's automatically going to work. You know, like you said, you, you were seeing carts and there was quite a lot of male players there, yeah. but that seemed to work better. Yeah. So um, what, because <laughs> you, you've, you're moving around a little bit at this time and it's not too, I, I wouldn't say too unusual you know, to, to change coach, but then what made you decide to move more or less to the other side of the world? How did that kind of process come about? Um, that was more through, I mean, for the record, for now, my relationship with England squash is very good again. But um, at the time, it was very much, I had just had enough, really, of the pressure, of the constantly being told what to do, that you're doing it wrong, that it's not right, you can't do it this way, you have to do it this way. Um, that all just kind of got to me and I pretty much was like I just need to leave Mm. you know I got I had a good opportunity to go and train and play at a club there and in in Vancouver and I just took it and ran with it really Mm. Uh, so what what helped give you the courage to do that because that's a um, it's a massive move and, and, and a very brave one because um if if things weren't working and, and it potentially left with bad blood, then you, you can almost consider it burning your bridges. So, but you you seem to know that it was right. So, what what was there was there any advice or or support that kind of gave you the the courage to to move? Yeah. So actually, um, so Kia, who I'd been working with a little bit, and you know he was coaching in juniors and and stuff like I would often seek advice from him and he very much was kind of like if you think it's right for you Rusty then you know go for it and I was seeing sports psychologist at the time as well and she was very supportive and very um helped me understand that maybe that was what I needed and although I mean she was employed by by England squash um her job is you know to be looking out for the athlete and that was the first time I'd really experienced that. And actually, when I spoke to her about it, she was like, if you feel like you need to do that, then you need to do that. Mm. And yeah, it could have been seen as burning bridges, but I felt like I had enough of a relationship with other people within England squash and right. within the squash world in England that I could come back to it. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And and again, that's really highlighting the idea of support of the person and, and kind of trusting at a certain stage that they know what's best for them yeah. over over others um so so how was that process you've moved to vancouver um maybe just share a couple of stories about that were you you must have been nervous or we or well I, maybe that's a, a big assumption for me <laughs> yeah how were you feeling in that process well, i think and, young um, and dumb so i thought it was going to be the best thing ever right okay. um so i think yeah i don't think i actually really had any concerns 
Okay. Um, I'm very... Once I decide something, Mm. I'm very much... That's what I'm doing. Mm. Um, I think my parents have installed that in me as well. Like, they... You know, they live in Austria and they decided that that's what they wanted to do and they very much encouraged me to to live my life like that and to mm. to to be like that so again also i had the support of my parents mm. and knowing that that is something that they would want for me um and that's what they did and so i had that example like mm. to kind of use as well yeah absolutely so how how did this this trip affect or no, it's not this trip but this this change like affect you personally um it, did were you able to kind of maintain and keep that balance socially and because moving to a new place yep. is difficult um, and, um to be honest i actually so when i got there um i was pretty social for a lot for quite a while <laughs> but actually i still was pretty keen on playing it wasn't like i didn't want to play hmm. Um, and I got really into actually like the strength and conditioning side of things, but mm. then I um, I herniated a disc in my back. Right. So actually, I couldn't play squash for about nine months, and so everyone oh, just wow. kind of thought I had dropped off the scene and stopped mm. stopped playing. And obviously, when you move somewhere and do something completely new, like you kind of fall off the radar a True. little bit because you know you you want to fully immerse yourself in this this, this new life. Mm. So yeah, so I think everyone just kind of thought I'd stop playing and that was it. And mm. Obviously, you know, and we all know now that that's not the case. Mm. So how was that? How was that process of of injury? Because we we were talking about it earlier, and I've also been speaking about it. Is that at, at some point in our career we we're forced, we either forced or choose to take a break. Yeah. And often when we're forced, we're very resistant to it. Um, but it can be a really positive experience um how how did you feel about that at, at the time and, and maybe reflecting on it now oh uh, well I think at the time I wasn't really that bothered um I mean mm. about being injured as it were because it was the kind of injury that without surgery really you just it just took time mm. I mean there wasn't really there was a bit of rehab I could do but I mean not much it literally would take time mm. the most frustrating part about it would be you'd forget so you'd wake up and you'd be like, oh, yeah, that feels great. And then you'd suddenly do something and then you'd be back to like square one again. Right. Um, so kind of getting, you know, learning as I'm sure you know, but that's too much, cutting it back. Kind mm. of that, that's too much again, cut it back again. And it, that was a, a long process, but I was enjoying, you know, living by the ocean and being yeah. in summer and getting a suntan and doing all, all that stuff that I hadn't really really done before. Mm, particularly having moved somewhere so recently to yeah. have that time to, to, to live your life a bit you know, yeah. and, and find some, like your, again, as we said, your balance yeah. of, of, of people and, and support because yeah. yeah. you're essentially creating that from the mm-hmm. beginning again, aren't you? Yeah. So um, how, how did that process affect your squash once you'd once you'd uh, you'd recovered from your injury and <laughs> you would sort of built your base well by that point i was probably in victoria and that's okay. when i met mike okay and i'm sure we'll talk about him a lot oh, more let's, let's talk about him now okay um so yeah and then i met mike so mike uh, mike johnson i'm going to big him up because he <laughs> won't big himself up and nobody else bigs him up <laughs> and in my opinion the greatest squash coach of all time Right. Um, 
not on commission here either. No, no, not at all. No. Okay. Um, and why is that? Well, for a start, he has coached the most outrageous players. So he has coached Sarah Fitzgerald, Rodney Martin, Rodney Isles, mm. Anthony Ricketts, Cameron Pilly, Liz Irving, Michelle Martin. Mm. More or less all of these are, are former top five in the world players. If yeah, world champions, yeah. British Open champions. Um Cameron Pillard, I don't know if I mentioned that, he's still playing as well. But mm. so all these, you know, outstanding players and I mean you've met him as well. Yeah. Um and he is the most genuine guy and kind person you will ever ever meet. And I think that just having that characteristic almost on its own makes him a great squash coach. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't think he's a good squash coach I mean I'm sure he thinks he's good but he doesn't think he's great um, he doesn't shout about it if you say to Mike oh Mike you know you've coached all these great players like you must mm. be you know, obviously a very good squash coach he'll mm. just be like no they would have been good with whoever they had coaching from and um, so yeah so I think for me meeting Mike and working with him is has been the biggest influence on my squash and um I mean he would be dying if he heard this um but yeah um so let, let's talk about him more more about his characteristics because it's all very well being a nice guy yeah but that doesn't that is one of a, a very big part of of it but I'm sure there's much more to his genius as it were than than, than just that yeah you know? because I mean obviously the respect partly comes from how the proof of how yeah. many players he's produced but he's not just a friend is he I mean what what do your sessions look like how does what does he what do you do what do you yeah. do because uh, from my perspective the best coaches I've had have been coaches but also mentors yeah so without putting words in your mouth like how um... yeah just talk more about more about the relationship that you have and why it works um, just so people, just so people who are maybe looking for a coach yep. or thinking about it, don't rather try to steal mic from me. Yeah, <laughs> or, or just say like, "Oh, he's a nice guy." Like, I'll go to him. Yeah, because yeah. um, it's not yeah. a, it's not a fix. Um, so yeah, so I'll start with like a typical session, I guess. Mm. Um, well, I guess it's not really typical because it would turn, but it's more that he will work on something with you until you get it so he is happy to go on court with you again we could have this talk about quality versus quantity but if your backhand's not feeling good he'll hit backhand with you for hours and hours and hours until it feels good Mm -hmm. and he will take the time he will take the effort and everything he says is so simple that it's so good Mm. like I had so many years of being given so much information and pile like this is how you need to hit the ball you need to change your grip you need to move better like you move poorly like doesn't look good to Mike being like just get it done Mm. like if your technique doesn't break down then it's fine Mm. and we'll just keep doing it until it works and it was the first time actually I'd had a coach who was like why can't you have a short game and then as soon as we started doing stuff he's like see you do have good hands and then all of a sudden he he's the kind of person that just gives you belief in mm. yourself 
And I don't know what it is is about him as well. And I mean, I coach at a school in Canada, Shawnigan Lake, um, that um, he works with the kids that I work with as well. And they feel the same as well. You just don't want to disappoint him. And not in a negative way, not that if you lost, you were disappointing him because it's not like that at all. But he somehow gives you this work ethic that you've never had before. Mm. And and where where does that so maybe how does he react to say you losing a match or or, or the failure side of it? How how what would a, a kind of conversation or uh, way that he deals with that kind of stuff? Um, like? He'll just you know be like oh wouldn't worry about it it's just a game <laughs> which is now yeah. obviously advice that I give yeah. but um, he's very much you know just kind of a bit squash and. You know, I wouldn't, you know, worry about it too much. Like, enjoy your time while you're away. We'll talk about it when you get back. But it's, you're just going to learn. Like, it's not, it's so, it was at the start particularly. Obviously now I'm more used to it. But so refreshing to have a coach that didn't care if he won or lost. Hmm. And when I say care, obviously he wants me to win and he wants me to do well. But it doesn't affect him if I win or lose. It's no reflection on him as a person or him as a coach. He's actually just there for you. And uh, we we spoke a little bit beforehand about um, how he'll he'll really listen. Um, so, for example, if you have lost, then he'll let you kind of make all your excuses and, let you vent, and, and yeah. I think just give you the space to get to the real answer. Yeah. And, and that seems to translate into his coaching is as much as he's got his own ideas of what it is, he'll kind of give you the free reign to discover it for yourself and, and potentially learn something new for himself as well. I yeah. think that's a really key characteristic of, of a wise person or a wise coach is the yeah. sort of assumption that they don't know anything and yeah. that they can he keep is learning. Very, that is very true, actually. You've summed, yeah. summed that up quite well there, yeah. I think, I think uh, as, a, as a coach, it's very difficult to not want to give your advice. Um, it's, a, it's a really kind of like the opposite way around to how you would imagine yeah because i think we're we're taught to a coach is someone that tells people what to do a teacher at school is someone that teaches people this is the facts you know and, and there's not in that strict environment there's not a lot of room for growth and challenge of the norm yeah and uh i think that's that this process is really good for, for kind of creativity and uh and and the player taking ownership of of their yeah. journey and 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 of their journey so um maybe just give some examples of when you're playing the tour and and maybe some some matches or tournaments that spring to mind that you were like oh this feels really different you know from being with mike and from being in in the west coast um it's hard so i want to think of an example of losing um oh, interesting but i feel like the only ones i can think of are winning that's um, not a bad problem to have. <laughs> I guess not. Or maybe it's because I've, you know, deleted all the losing from my memory. Um, I'm trying to think. But also maybe that because of this process that you've gone through, you were just winning more often well, as yeah, well. Yeah, that was also the case. I was winning a lot more often. Yeah. Um, one that springs to mind, I don't really know why it springs to mind. I played a, it was either a ten or a $15,000 event at a club in Canada and it was really that tournament was the first time that I really felt like I could play squash 
which sounds ridiculous. It does. <laughs> um, but that was the first time where I really felt like I actually knew what I was doing and I could actually, again, it's going to sound ridiculous, but feel the ball and actually, you know, control my opponent. Whereas before I was always the one doing all the running and all of a sudden it, there was this kind of change in me as a player where actually I was the one controlling the rallies. And not, not only that, I think mentally as well, I can remember playing Samantha Turan and I got bagel, bagel? I'm pretty sure I got bagel in the first game. Which is 11 I, love. Yeah. For, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, and I won 3-1. And right. that again was like, before I'd have been thinking, oh my God, like I'm going to lose it. I've been bagel which is quite a big deal in the squash world you get ripped for being bagel um whereas i just didn't really care and then i just went out and played and won and then mm. i played i forget who i played in the semis sorry i think it might have been sam Cornette, but i can't mm. guarantee that it was sam <laughs> and then i played uh, emma beddows mm. in the final and we had an epic match and that was the first time i think i'd beaten beds as well um, and I won like 16-14 in the 5th mm. but it, again it was the first time I'd played and not worried about an outcome mm. and how what does that look like internally because um, that's a very hard state of mind to be in particularly if you're discovering it for the first time Yeah. So you can my kind of internal dialogue is the moment I think I'm playing well or, or that things aren't going well that's when it goes wrong because yeah. you try and keep do it. You try to play yeah. like how you think. So, so what does like internally and and what does that look like for you? Well, nothing really. In mm. that, I'm not really thinking about anything. I'm not really worried about anything, um, and everything's just kind of, you know, in sync as it as it were. Mm. Um, and what gave you that clarity? Confidence, I think, and the confidence that that Mike gave me and even the f- one of the first things Mike said to me in the very first session we ever had hmm. gave me confidence even though it was the most backhanded comment slash compliment you've ever heard so this is what Mike told me so it would be interesting to see your reaction so one of we, your first lessons very first lesson <laughs> and we did this one exercise and obviously I was not particularly good at it and uh, he turned to me and he said, I cannot believe how good you've got for how bad you are. <laughs> okay, well, that's not very nice, is it? Not very nice and friendly. And <laughs> But that gave me confidence. That okay. was like, I'm, according to Mike, that bad. Mm-hmm. But yet he thinks I'm good. Right. And that shows me that I have so much more improvement to make than yeah. any other player anywhere near my ranking. Mm. That that gave me like the desire to mm. to do better and to want to work with him and listen to him. And I mean, I don't know if many coaches would have the confidence to even say that to a, to a player, but we'll be able to say it in a way that is playful. Yeah, well, and like, it wasn't. Cause... I didn't find it offensive, and I. I bring it up all the time. I tell people that story all the time because mm. I think it's funny. But even just for him to have the confidence to say that to somebody he's mm. never even worked with yeah. is uh, 
say something about him as well. Um, but yeah, that that weirdly gave me a lot of confidence and that even like today at my ranking now that I, you know, use to keep pushing forward as well. I still feel, feel like I'm a very underrated player and everyone kind of thinks that, you know, I've reached my, my limit. But I know I haven't because I know how much I have to improve, especially, again, compared to people, like, around my ranking. Mm. So, I mean, I, I mean, technically, perhaps, and things like that. But I'm still not perceived as a particularly good squash player. And I know this just even from watching my matches back on PSA Live and hearing commentators rinse me. Um, so, yeah, we now mute those for the commentators <laughs> of the world listening. But, um, yeah, so it's having that self-confidence and he has given me that and just knowing that he believes in me is enough. Mm. So with this newfound confidence, do you still feel nerves and do you, do you still feel fear, you know, and, 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 and nerves before you go on and play or what does that look like? Um, yeah. Nerves to me are more, more excitement. Um, mm. Again, having a couple of injuries really puts perspective on things and I just love playing squash. That's the right. long and the short of it. And So if I'm not excited to play or nervous, as it, as it were, it depends again, mm. I feel like nervous isn't the best word. Mm. I think even if you just change that to excitement, it ch- very much changes your, yeah, your outlook on it completely. as well. Yeah. Um, then actually something's wrong mm. and then that's something that you know, then I need to tap into perhaps something different mm. for for that match. Yeah, I think if you don't have nerves, you're not excited. Then there's there is something. Yeah, you exactly. Know, I, think, I think so. I really like that. I've not thought about it in that way. You know, because you, if you if you believe, like, oh, I'm nervous, and that's a bad thing. Like it. Of course, it's a bad thing then. Yeah, exactly, and that and that just then you just then create exactly what you fear or you're nervous about. Yeah. So, but still, if you're overexcited. It can be yep. equally detrimental. So, do you have any kind of techniques or what or processes that you go through to identify your nerve or excitement? Because that varies quite a lot. Um, and yeah, so so when you get onto court, you know that you're ready to play and you've got this confidence. That yeah, you, so you're not just going to scurry around and yeah. pick the ball up. So um, yeah, that's something I had struggled with for a long time, like from juniors. And and through it wasn't that I would always listen to like pumped up music and like think mm. yeah like inspirational lyrics woo, yeah. <laughs> but then obviously if you go to the most simple form of it, but the inverted U theory, I'd be like <laughs> off the scale. Mm. So then we'd just run around like a headless chicken and not really play squash because I thought I needed to be pumped up to play squash. Mm. Whereas that's more and again you know me quite well. My personality is quite. You know, I don't know. What. It's already like, pumped up. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't need that that mm. anymore. And that was quite the learning curve for me. But then also, I for a while went the opposite way, mm. and then tried too hard not to be, and then was really flat when I was playing. Mm. So now, you know, I found the balance. I found like I do a little bit of um, not not meditating, but like some breathing exercises that I've worked on with like my sports psychologist and just some, you know, positive self-talk and then listening to more, not relaxing music, but just kind of mid, mid-range, mid middle, that's kind of, you know, 
that's kind of where I need to be. I need to be in the middle. Mm. And then after that, it was then recognising, controlling that, isn't it? So the days where you're not so up for it, then mm. you actually actually have to make that extra effort to get up for it. And then days where you're like, for whatever reason, super pumped up, that's when I need to tone it, tone it back down. But I now know where that middle ground is and where mm. I need to be within that to perform at my best. Sure. Uh, I think that's that's important in in all aspects of life and, and the game. And and as we've already spoken about, really, I think you only find your balance in everything by going to either extreme yeah. and, and having the courage to do so and for it to not work. Um, I think that's something that you've done really well in, in your personal life and, and in the various aspects of squash. You've been a very good ba- uh, advocate for finding balance, so <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so, yeah, so what's what's the next steps for you? Um, what, what are your aspirations and, uh, yeah, what, 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 what's the next step rather than looking too far into yeah. the future? Uh, next step, um, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, and now I think I like to look at things more... Um, not necessarily like obviously goals goals are good and you know we all have our end goal but more looking at my squash and where I want my squash to be and I think that is then a natural progression to just improving your ranking and I think a lot of people um, get get quite caught up in this is where my ranking is and I can think of one friend that I have in particular and she'll probably know who who I'm talking about when she hears this as well but it she and not so much now because I have a friend of mine as well. We've like kind of said to her, you need to, you know, just worry about playing squash. She's mm. very much like scientifically figuring out rankings, figuring out points. Mm. And we were kind of like, look, you just need to just go play and mm. you'll just get better and your ranking will just naturally improve. Even if it drops off a little bit, yeah. eventually it's going to get there. Yeah. Again, so it's having that courage to go yeah, to either end you yeah. know, for things not to work. Um, and I think I'm at that stage in my career now where I think that's just, just more important. And I think Mike believes that too. He tells me not to worry about results, not to worry about rankings. Like hmm. like last season, I, I lost a lot 3-2. And obviously if I'd won those matches, I might almost be like top 12 kind of in hmm. that higher end of where I want to be. But... I've learned a lot from from losing those matches and that to me was you just write it off as like a learning season and now this season perhaps is another big push and eventually I'll get those results and it's just having that belief. And potentially another learning year. Well, yeah, potentially. You never know. Mm. Um, Mike always uses uh, Anthony Ricketts as, as an example of that as well he reckons it took him about three years to really break through and they worked a lot and it was very hard and he's like eventually it, it will come if you do the right things and you put in the work and you believe then it will will happen and I do strongly believe that and that's a process that I do trust in now which again 18 year old lusty would have been like talking rubbish mm-hmm. yeah so final question before we kind of get on to the quick fire ones yeah. I'm intrigued what drives you so much um because again as i've already said you have this you have kind of two very polar opposite states which again when they combine are always the good balance but you want to win so badly but you also have this playful 
side to it too yeah. and, and the, see the importance of the process but I know you want to win every point yeah so what what drive what drives you and what motivates you to keep keep going um that's a good question intrinsically I like to work hard why I don't know that's probably something I still need to learn about myself maybe um I like to challenge myself and I like to push myself and that's something else that I've learned recently as well is getting you know not doing too much as as well um Hmm. being competitive is just I think it's just something that's innate isn't it it's something that's just within you and you can't you can't curb it I mean I've got I've learned to curb it in things like board games with friends <laughs> and playing pool with friends um, I can remember actually playing pool with uh, my friend uh, so Leonie mm. and playing pool with her and her being like Lusty how badly do you want to win? No no not at all like, <laughs> um, that's something I've had to actually work really really hard on But so maybe that has helped me kind of channel that a little bit more as well kind of channeling when it's okay to be competitive sure. um, and then just more trying to bring my own personality into my squash because I am quite, you know, a jovial, jokey kind of person. I like to make fun of me, myself, mm. other people, but I really can, you know, make fun of myself. And that's something now that I feel like I've kind of put into my squash a bit more as well. So maybe that combined with my severe competitiveness <laughs> has kind of balanced everything out. Maybe I don't know if that really answers the question. But in ways, it, in, in it ways it does. Waffly. In ways it does, <laughs> and and I'm I'm curious. Maybe you can come on next time once you've uncovered <laughs> where this where this drive and, and fire comes from. Yeah, I don't I don't really know. Well, it is it's definitely something I have, and I mean you know me quite yeah, well, and I'm sure yeah, you yeah. can vouch that it is something. So yeah, I don't. It's something I, I've always had. Mm. I don't know. Maybe it's my star sign. They do say that Taurus. So <laughs> maybe that's what I put it down to. <laughs> Okay, so we're just we're just gonna finish with some quick fire questions then, so speedy. Oh gosh. What's your biggest strength? My biggest strength my competitiveness. Okay. <laughs> what's your biggest weakness? My competitiveness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> quick fire. Yeah, it's good, it's good. <laughs> what's a book you'd recommend to our listeners? Oh oh that's a good one. Uh what's I randomly I would recommend um, Kelly Holmes's autobiography, which is called. I don't know because I read it a long time. I ago. assume she would have quite a few. Maybe, but it was very, very good, very insightful. Okay, um, quick synopsis. What was good about it? Why? Why should they get it? Uh, it was good because it was her journey to what she achieved was very different to others. She started in the army and then kind of went through to athletics like that and you know she had a very different running technique to what was considered a proper technique. maybe I related to it quite a lot so that's sure. why I liked it cool is there anything you wished people asked you more I, well the first thing I thought of one question I wish people asked me less mm, uh, let's go with that uh, why is squash in the Olympics okay. or why isn't squash in the Olympics okay no, that's the question I wish people asked me more. Why are you squashing the Olympics? Because squash is in the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nice. And 
you maybe already said it, but I'm intrigued if you said anything different. What's the best advice you've ever received? Have I already said Well, you mentioned that Mike oh, was very influential on yeah. the advice that he'd given you. Yeah, I don't know if actually... What's Do you know who actually... The, I don't know advice, but the best saying, can I do saying? Absolutely. Is actually probably from Kant's, is if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. Brilliant. Okay, thanks. So, um, before we go on to the final questions, I just want to... There's more? <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's three more. Um, they're the, the, the big ones. Okay. Um, but before we go to there, I just want to acknowledge you and, and thank you, firstly, for, for coming on the show. Um, but really, for your, um, I want to acknowledge you for your courage. Um, courage in taking the path that you know is right for you, uh, even though it's not the the hardest one or the most supported one from everybody yeah um i think that's uh very inspirational and i'm sure it will be for for many people to take ownership of your journey um and also for having the courage to come on here oh, no, <laughs> uh, and no, have no, the no, trust no. have the trust in 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 me uh for for doing this so so thank you um, I, thank I appreciate you. i appreciate it um just uh, what what's the best way for the people listening to kind of follow your journey and keep up with you? Oh, that's a good question because I am bad on <laughs> You're social a hermit. media. <laughs> Come to Victoria. <laughs> uh, if you uh, look under my shell, you yeah. find me. <laughs> um, I do have a Twitter account. I occasionally tweet, um, and it's at Victoria F Lost. That's my. Twitter handle. Twitter handle. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll make sure that they either <laughs> check you out there or go and to, Vic- not, or go to Victoria. <laughs> go to Victoria and try and find the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So final questions. Okay. What is the one thing you know to be true about success? Hard work will get you very far. And what is the one thing you know to be true about failure? That. Failure will bring success eventually. And lastly, when you think of success, who is the first person that comes to mind? Ooh. It's a good question. Thank it's a you. tough That's one. That's why I left it till the end. I see that. <laughs> this wasn't meant to be quick fire, was it? No, this is fine. Okay. You, can think, you can think about this one. Uh, when I think of successful, who do I think of? Um... It's an interesting one because I'm going to maybe get a bit too deep here. But what is success? Mm. I feel like... You tell me. Well, if I think of success, I can think of it in many ways. Like with family and that. I feel like my parents, I feel like they've been successful in, you know, having a family, raising a family, to retiring early and doing what they want Mm. to somebody like Mike, you know, who doesn't potentially perceive himself as successful but is very successful in what he does i i feel like a lot of people relate success to accolades and other such things and i don't necessarily believe that in life that is what success is brilliant thanks very much this is victoria lust um yep thanks everyone for listening to this um if you found it in enjoyable or insightful uh please comment or uh or share it with a friend that's the best way that this is going to grow 
Um, and lastly, if you want to keep up to date with this, then subscribe on iTunes, or if that's not possible yet, then just punch over to my website, tomfordsquash.com, and there should be a, a an icon saying Finding Balance Podcast. Um, you can follow me on social media, which is at tomfordsquash. I'm mostly active on uh, Instagram. So just punch a comment in and, and let, let, let me know what you thought of the episode. Um, equally, you can head over to uh, Victoria F. Lust on Twitter and send her a tweet to let us know if you have any further questions or, or anything like that. You can find me under my shell if not. Yeah, that's, that's always an option. And uh, in the meantime, thank you again for listening and wait for the next one. <laughs>